when you first got to the football team at Atascacita High School in Humble, who was the first person to kick your butt and kind of welcome you to high school football? Uh, you know, I mean, there's some tough guys in practice every day, of course. You know, Tascacy is kind of one of those schools that, you know, brings talent in and out every single year. Um, we had Alaric Solari, who was our free safety on the varsity team that year. that ended up getting drafted by the Minnesota Twins in the second round a couple years later for baseball. But honestly, I think Kenyon Green is the one that stands out to me. Yeah. Um, we had one – I was a sophomore, we had a practice one day in the weight room, and Kenyon and I got paired up during a drill that we probably shouldn't have been paired up, you know, in. Um, right. We had to – it was a challenge where you had to hold one end of the weight bar with just your right hand or whatever dominant hand you were yeah. and hold it out in front of you. And so they put us up against, you know, one person was on one and one and some person's on the other. And they had to like, they were trying to pair us up, you know, based on our weight group or, you know, our position or whatever. And I was like one of the smaller kids at the time. And Kenyon, of course, was like the biggest kid, you know, in the program. He's, yeah. you know, like six, five and like three, whatever. Yeah. Future first round draft pick. You know, we all kind of figured. And they were like, we don't have anyone to go up against Kenyon or Gavin. They're like, let's put them together. Um, <laughs> So I lasted, you know, maybe, maybe 20 seconds before I dropped the bar and, you know, Kenyon won and all the coaches had a good laugh about it. But that was just kind of my first really introduction, I guess, to, you know, how big some kids are going to end up being later on. And, you know, maybe I wasn't cut out for it, you know. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind and sharing them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough. But you be told I need some therapy. Initially, ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy. All right, welcome to another brand new episode of the Team Player Podcast. This is episode number 63. We're making team player history again today. Welcoming our first ever broadcaster into the Team Player Studios. He may look like a young man, but don't let his looks fool you. He's got years of experience and has already called hundreds and hundreds of games. I've run into him over the years doing uh, football broadcasts around the city, and I've had the pleasure more recently of covering some high school playoff soccer uh, with him, and we kind of realized, man, we have got to get this guy on the show. You may recognize his voice from his work on some of the biggest games in the state on Texan Live, and he is now a full-time staff member for Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Welcome, Gavin Moritz, to the show. Thanks for having me, Coach. All right, if you're a fan of the team player movement, man, keep on giving us those ratings. Just wherever you're listening, if you haven't done it already, give the five-star rating. That helps the algorithm so more people find our show whenever they're searching for podcasts. And then uh, word of mouth, just tell somebody. I mean, we we have a really nice listener base of, of people that really love this show. So just if you, see, if, you, if you know someone that loves coaching or athletics, I think they would like this show. So please spread the word. If you want to leave a written review, I, I do read those aloud on the show. And then you can hit the follow button to subscribe and get a new episode in your queue every Sunday. We'd be honored if the Team Player Podcast made it into, rota- into your rotation. And I'm your host, James Kobaleski. Please follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. All right, Gavin, so we know you play football at Atascacita, but let's kind of go back to before that. You know, talk about your early life. You know, what, what part of town did you grow up in? And just kind of tell us what it was like growing up kind of on that north side of the city. Uh, so I'm from a couple different areas in Houston. I kind of was born in the Tomball area. I lived there for a little bit and then moved to the Woodlands for a year or two. 
Um, but I really do claim Atascacita as my hometown. I lived there from fifth grade all the way up until I was probably 19 or 20 years old before I moved out. And um, so growing up in Atascacita, it was fun. You know, it's a, kind of a suburb, but it's, you know, northeast side. So there's always a lot going on. Yeah. And so, you know, you mentioned that that you you were on the football team, but eventually you decided to, you know, I think you said in your sophomore year, you decided you wanted you wanted to try something else. This is what I really respect about you. I mean, you didn't go home and just play video games. Can you talk about, you know, what, whenever the your football career ended as sophomore in high school what what did what did you turn your your efforts and energy into well so I kind of realized towards the end of my sophomore year you know you the whole goal of playing is to continue playing for most guys at the next level mm. and I kind of realized you know maybe I wasn't going to be able to do that and I, I really always played because I wanted to be a coach actually and I always thought yeah. you know playing was gonna be my avenue to coaching and then I kind of realized you know maybe I can try something else but you know for now since I'm only you know 15 16 years old as a high school student maybe I should try to just get a job you know be productive and then see where you know life takes me and so I applied after I quit football my sophomore year I kind of stopped playing in the spring yeah. um so over that summer or so I for the first couple of months you know June July I kind of started applying to like you know ice cream shops and like grocery right, stores right. and stuff and no one would hire me, you know, because I didn't have any work experiences like a 15, 16 year old kid. And so then um, the owner of Texan Live at the time, I he was like kind of a he knew a family friend of ours, the PA guy at Turner Stadium. If you guys know Coach Ken Yannick at all. No, I uh, don't. I've not met, I've not had the pleasure of meeting him. Well, he's a great guy and he's a great family friend. And he was telling uh, my family, they're like, you know, if, you know, Gavin could probably, should probably try Texan Live, you know, like that may be. You know, yeah. something you'd be interested in. And I had actually watched games on Texan Live, like Atascacita games in the past. And they'd go up to play at like Baylor or somewhere in Dallas, you know, and I couldn't right. go out of town because I was on JV at the time. And so I applied to Texan Live. I got an interview when I was 16. I uh, They hired me in August of 2017 to uh, run computers and do kind of the production stuff. And I kind of told them like, hey, you know, I'd like to try maybe announcing someday. I think that'd be cool. And they were like, you know, like as a 16 year old kid, they're kind of like, okay, like sure, kid, you know, like you know maybe someday sure and so that's kind of how I got my start at Texan live and then um Harvey happened so we weren't sure if that football season was even going to happen yeah and then so we did end up being able to play that first week I did a, my first game was at Turner Stadium it was humble and someone and then you know it's five or six years ago now yeah but it was an humble game at Turner that week one and then the next week I did an Atascacita game I believe it was week two and it was uh, Mark M. Johnson, who was our senior broadcaster at the time. He's a great guy, super talented broadcaster. And he was calling the game with um, one of our other guys, and they had to, like, leave at halftime. And Mark was like, hey, do you mind jumping on and doing color? Like, I know you've never done this before, but, like, do yeah. you mind jumping on? And I was like, uh, yeah, of course I'll jump on, you know. Uh, saw my opportunity right in front of me, and I was like, I think I may have to grab this one. And so I did color for that game. Um, and that's kind of how I got my start. I ended up doing color that first football season off and on from the, from then on out with, between him and Jeremy Branham. And if you guys, Oh yeah. Jeremy, Jeremy Branham sounds familiar. He's the voice of U of H men's basketball. And he wow. did a lot of stuff for us at the time. And so I spent, my, I spent my whole first football season doing color for him and Mark. And it was a good learning experience for sure. And then once basketball season rolled around that next December or January, they were like, Hey, it's time to throw you into play by play. And I was like, Oh man. Man, that's really cool. So as far as the, uh, it's, it's kind of the Wally Pip story to me, right? So Wally Pip gets hurt. Lou Gehrig comes in, never gives a spot back. That was kind of you. Was like, like, <laughs> hey, kid, can you fill in for the second half? And then he just never let go. And here right. we are, you know, six years later. But let's talk about that first. I mean, what were your nerves like being, a, you know, you, these were your peers. These were your classmates. You're, you're called an Atascacita game in your second game. I mean, I can't even imagine 
calling like kids that I might have geometry or, you know, uh, algebra class with, you know, uh, what was that like calling an Atasca City game with kids that you go to school with? Uh, you know, it happened a bunch, actually, kind of down the stretch of my last, you know, two years of high school. I'd kind of do an Atasca City game. I did it for every sport. I, you know, because I do basically every sport we have. And so I would do, especially the football games were interesting because I'd get like, you know, the guys that are like, Hey, if I make a tackle, like make sure to hype me up. That's you know, what I that's what I was curious about. Were the players like aware of this and were they asking you for <laughs> special treatment? And and did you ever go go negative on a player whenever there's a bad play, or, or did you just kind of keep that off limits? <laughs> um, I try not to go too negative on any kids, you know what I mean? Because yeah, at the end sure. of the day, they are just high school kids. So I try to stay away from the negativity. But um did I give them some uh, some smack later on, like in you know, like you said, like geometry class or something, if they like missed a tackle, like maybe a little, but you know, on air, I tried to keep it, you know, pretty professional, but um, yeah, I'd have, you know, some of the guys, especially the guys in my grade that would ask me, uh, you know, like, Hey, like, can you, you know, hype me up if I make a tackle or if I score a touchdown, can you say this or whatever? And it's, you know, it's kind of like, it was an interesting dynamic that I don't think most, you know, juniors in high school get to deal with. So it was interesting for sure. Yeah. You know, and fans of the show know that, you know, I, I'm I'm a broadcaster, you know that you you and I have crossed paths, and I'm you know I'm not full time or anything. I you know I work for Dactronics during the day, but I mm-hmm. I love being around the game after I left coaching, and so I'm I'm kind of a uh, a mercenary, if you will. I, I broadcast for a lot of different companies all around around the city, but you know for me, it's it's not it's not my profession. You know, it's just something I want to be respected around around the the industry. Is oh, Coach Kovo does a good job, you know, and I and I love doing it. But for you, starting at such a young age, and it, and it sounds like you know you this you plan to make this a profession, and it's really cool to see a guy the level of Jeremy Branham, he was doing the same thing we're doing, calling Texan Live. You know what I mean? Right. He's made it all the way to U of H men's basketball. So I'm just curious, like, have you thought about that? Have Have you thought about you know the potential or where you want to be one day? Uh, for sure. I think you know the goal with anything is to end up being the best that you can possibly be, and I think the goal for most people doing playing sports or, you know, broadcasting or whatever is to be, you know, the, the hall of fame level, you know, you want to yeah. be the best ever. And of course that's the goal. Um, so I want to definitely, you know, I've got some goals in mind. I think in terms of like professional goals, I'd say one day the dream is to, uh, you know, do Super Bowls or the world series or something. Cause baseball and right. football are probably my two favorites, but uh, anything really college level would be awesome as well. And um, I'd say people ask me what your dream job is. It's not, play-by-play it's definitely to help host the uh the nfl draft show for nfl network okay there we go (laughs) i'm a huge draft nerd that's it's my favorite day of the year this is something i did not know about you so here we go we're uncovering things here on the team player podcast (laughs) i mean i would love to host nfl red zone i mean that i'm drawing a blank on that guy's name right now but he does a great job and and he Mm -hmm. that's just a dream job to to be there in the studio for eight hours (laughs) you know just right just talking football but no, man, that's really cool. And, you know, again, you're our first. You're, you're a trendsetter here. You're a pioneer on the Team Player Podcast, our first broadcaster. But I think broadcasters are important. And, I mean, that that's a big reason why, for me, it was an easy transition after coaching to, to, to get into this because I just want to bring as much po- positivity, I guess, towards the game as possible. And, and like you, I never go negative. You know, if I see something right. – I, I turn, I kind of like maybe during the break, I'll tell my, my, my co-host like, man, did you see that? Like that was, you know, but never do it on air. There's really, there's no point in doing that. No, no one, no one gets any better out of that, but you know, I just think that I think broadcasts are really important, you know, in, in our fabric, just like coaches, just like players, just like officials, just like parents. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about, you know, what's your role in, in this beautiful game, you know, that we call high school athletics? Like what what's your role? I definitely think that, 
it's a role that gets magnified because we're, you know, we're on air, we're talking, there's, you know, it's, it's live, of course, there's no room for, there's no margin for error whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of my role, I try not to think about it as being too big per se, because at the end of the day, it, it is about the kids, you know, and you want to yeah. go out there and you want to, you know, highlight their abilities and make them, you know, sound better, look better. And the whole goal is just to get those kids up to the next level and make sure we're highlighting their abilities. And so I don't think of it as too big of a role. Um, it, it is the coolest job I could ask for at 21 years old. Yeah. But, um, and even back at 16, it was like, it's like still the coolest job in the world, but I do think it it's a magnified job that we have, but I don't think it's the most important thing going on just because it's, you know, it is about the players and the teams and stuff. And I think I tell people if I, if no one remembers my name after a broadcast, if no one really remembers like anything I said, that's a good thing. So you kind of like, I guess you're kind of like an official in that regard. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like, you know, if you're good, if you're, you know, if you're good, they're either going to say, oh, you know, that guy was good or, you know, or they're not going to say anything. Right. If you're bad, if you do a bad job sure. or you say anything negative, they're going to be like, hey, Gavin, by the way, you know, he's not very good or he said this or, you know, so I think the goal at the end of the broadcast is either for people to, you know, either take you, with you know, with a grain of salt kind of being like, you know, lightly like, oh, you know, he was good. Or, you know, he was really good, but, you know, you don't want people to remember like, oh, Gavin Moritz at the two minute 37 mark said this about my kid, you know? Sure. So but let's talk about, let's talk about the art of broadcasting. You, you got great pipes, man. You got a great voice. You got a nat- that not natural kind of broadcaster voice. So that's my question is, do you, when you go on air, do you just talk normally or do you try to kind of like augment your voice to have so whatever it is you're trying to to convey i'm, I'm curious on that the the, the art of the, the broadcaster voice okay so i was waiting for this question i knew this was going to come up uh okay yeah so i do think everyone everyone that broadcasts coach you probably know this too everyone has a different voice that they use than when they're talking to you know like their you know significant other or their grandma or just like someone on the street you know what i mean yeah. like you have everyone has a different voice they use when they go on air and so people have asked me before like I, I had people in school all the time ask me like oh my gosh dude can you do your broadcaster voice and I'm like no like no I can't do my broadcaster voice because like I think for me it's like one of those things where I'm me until I put on a headset and then I think when I put on the headset and I kind of re- start reading my notes and I kind of start going it's like I, I like a, a switch flips and I kind of enter this different mindset to where I'm not really Gavin for two or three hours you know I kind of just yeah. go into a different mode and it's almost like I'm trying to think of a comp for it here I guess it's almost like acting you know it's like right. you kind of it's like method acting like you flip into you know, you're playing Batman or something or you know Spider-Man for three hours at a time yeah. and you're not you know me anymore I'm now I'm the broadcaster and I think that's a big reason why I think I would say I'm able to do that is just I flip that switch but in terms of the voice um I definitely can't do it just, you know, when people ask me to, I think I have can't to do it on command. Time. Yeah. It's just you're, you, when you're in your element, you, it just comes out. Right. I definitely have to be in the moment and have to have the headset on to do the broadcaster voice, or at least be doing like an interview or something, you know, like talking to someone with a microphone in my hand. And um, I've had like family members or like friends, again like, ask me to do it before. And I'm like, no, I don't think I can do that just off command. So you can't do it on command, but while you're in the act of doing it, so when you have the headset on and you've got the microphone, are you actively thinking of ways to pitches or, or tones or, or or is it just nat- is it you're just naturally talking or is there some thought behind it? Okay, so I think the switch from my normal talking voice to the broadcaster voice is natural. I think it's something I've kind of figured out how to do over the years to where I don't even have to think about it anymore. Like I said, I think I put on the headset and I just go. 
Um, during the broadcast, though, I do think about, you know, like maybe that call was a little pitchy or do I need to bring it down here, or like tighten it up in that area, or like on this certain scenario, like, like, okay, like on this extra point, should I bring it down some or knock it up some? And then, you know, for certain like touchdown calls or, you know, big hit, like a big rip into like left field or something, like, do I need to add more or less inflection on that? And so I think, I think the switch to the broadcasting voice is a natural thing, but I, if to answer your question, yes, I do think about during the broadcast, like a good portion of the time, like how can I improve like in the moment right here? And, you know, you, you said it yourself, th this is your dream job. You can't think of a better job. And I think a lot of us sports fans that watch TV, we we're sitting on our couches. We're thinking, man, this would be a dream job. I could count myself as one of them, you know? And I'm like, I could do this. You know, mm -hmm. I think all of us fans think that. So tell us what's the most difficult thing. Cause surely you know, it's, it's not that easy. You know, so for, for, for fans that just are, you know, your Monday morning quarterback, your armchair quarterback, that's like, oh, I could do a better job than Joe Buck or whoever, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, what are some of the difficulties of your job? Um, So definitely, I think I'll start with just as Texan Live is concerned. A lot of people don't know, but at Texan Live, our broadcasters are producers. And so we're sitting there most of the time, most of the time, like I'd say nine times out of 10, your play-by-play -play guy is also running a computer He's changing the score. Every time someone scores, he's changing the quarter, the half, you know, he's changing the, the score bug graphic. He's running commercials. Um, and then he's got to keep his own notes and call the game. So it's like, for example, if I'm doing a baseball game, let's say, you know, we get a three run shot of the left field wall. Like I have to punch in, you know, three zip on the scoreboard right. and, you know, for Tascacita or for, you know, Katie or whoever. And then I got to go to my score bug and I'm like jotting down, you know, three run shot for coach Kovo, you know, bottom <laughs> of the second inning, whatever. And, you know, then I got to run a commercial and, you know, it's just a different dynamic, I guess, than doing it at the pro level, um, sure. the pro level, you know, you have producers for you, you have your stats computers in front of you, you get all kinds of, um, I tell people it's, it's different than pro or college because we help, we don't have necessarily the broadcasting tools or resources, quote unquote, that, you know, the pros or the collegiate level has. Um, so we're doing a lot of this stuff, like kind of manually kind of analog stuff, um, in terms of punching in our own score and our own, you keep your own score bug and keeping your own score book and all that. So I'd say that's a different dynamic that people don't maybe realize that we do. But I'd say the hardest part, um, well, that's a tough question. I'd say the hardest part, honestly, is probably just keeping a dialogue going, you know, keeping a conversation going with yourself, which if when, you guys you're, when you're coach, alone. Yes. Honestly, right. Yeah. And you, Coach Kovo, are one of the best at doing that for soccer, <laughs> by the way. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, and so I was listening to you the other night, and I was thinking about that when I was kind of prepping for this. I figured this may be a question that might come up, and people right. do. It. People have asked me this before, what the hardest part of my job is. And it's just keeping the dialogue going, you know? Like, if you have an awkward break in there at any point, you're kind of like, you know, if there's any awkward silence, it's okay to have silence in a broadcast, but you have to kind of know when to apply it. I understand, man. And, you know, and part of it, maybe it's because I'm a little crazy. So I'm, I'm used to talking to myself. And so it comes naturally for me, you know, but uh, in right. all seriousness, and I, I'm not a professional broadcaster. And, and I think you can, I think, you know, I've listened to some of your broadcasts, extremely professional. I mean, you, you're going places. I'm just a little bit different since it's not my career. I probably come with a little bit more of a colloquial folksy kind of just laid, you know, it's, it's not as buttoned up, I would say my mm. style, you know, and that's okay. Cause I just do right. it for fun. You know, but I've known, like, I remember last night, something I like to do. And again, this probably is not broadcaster one-on-one, but I like to take down that third wall and I, t I would talk to you. And even though you do not have a headset and cannot answer me, it just felt more natural to me to be like, man, Gavin, you know, I really feel like Memorial is really starting to change the, you know, and just, 
I don't know. Little things like that. And again, I don't think you get away with that as you progress. But for like you said, for something like Texan Live where you're wearing multiple hats and you're just you're by yourself and you're trying to keep it fun. That's something I've tried, you know, but I totally get what you're saying about that difficulty of being alone. And I think that's one thing people don't realize, like, especially during football season, if you do a Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, again, th- this is this is like spoiled people problems, but like your voice is just about done, especially early on. It takes some a couple of weeks to get your pipes into football shape, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I've definitely lost my voice before. People always talk sure. about as a podcaster, the worst thing that can happen is you lose your voice. It's happened to me, I'd say, four times now, maybe th- probably three to five, I'd say, somewhere in that range. And it doesn't, it's happened to me, I think, once, maybe just because I blew it out, you know, calling so many games. But it usually happens when I get sick. Sure. So if I have like a sore throat or anything, I, and I, you know, I do four or five games in a matter of like a week, I tend to lose my voice just because of the strain on my, you know, my vocal cords from being, you know, having a cold or whatever. And so that's happened. That happened not too long ago. I think it happened at the end of basketball season this past year, kind of in the playoffs, which was a really inconvenient time for it to happen. Yeah. Um, but that's part of the job. You know, there's no, there's no, I guess, schedule for when you're going to lose your voice or when life's going to happen in the middle of yeah. you know, your broadcasting seasons and stuff. And so you kind of have to play off of it. Um, I think I took a day or two of voice rest and kind of just helped like run, you know, run the production and stuff and just kind of help around the office and help wherever else I could when I didn't have a voice. And then as soon as I felt like I was ready to come back to the point that I wouldn't, you know, blow it out again, I was back on air. So that, that has happened before I've lost it, you know, probably four or five times. And so it happens about once a year, I'd say once every school year. It's kind of a cool peek behind the curtain and other things for people like myself that work day jobs, like just getting to the stadium on time. I mean, I, I, I was having trouble getting out to Katie last night due to traffic and work. And so that's one thing, you know, for fans to consider sometimes <laughs> we're arriving you know, a lot later than we want to, to you know, to feel ready, but it, it all worked out great yesterday. And, you know, kind of another peek behind the curtain. And I got to do this on one or two occasions. I got to be a part of, um, you know, like a, a broadcast of KPRC where they'll do like their game of the week. And so, I got to call some of those games this, this past football season. That, that was different, man. You know, and just for, for fans who might be interested in this, like for the first time ever, you know, I have a, a, a colleague, you know, a, a color guy or a, a play-by-play guy. I'm doing color. We're wearing headsets. But now for the first time, a producer can talk to me in the headset. And right. that was kind of trippy for me. And then there's the button. I forget exactly what they called it, but the base of the button where I would mute myself on the broadcast so I could talk to the producer and ask right. like, hey, you know, can you pull down my volume? Can you do this? Like how much time do we come back from break? And that that was interesting. And so for fans that maybe have just watched a lot of TV, like you can kind of see those guys, like you can tell, like somebody's talking to them in their ear, you know, sometimes I, I saw a rod doing that in the world baseball classic. He's kind of, you know, holding his ear and you can tell he's listening to somebody and trying to communicate something, you know, uh, at, at the podium after the game. But that was odd. Have, have you ever had to deal with that yet? Like, cause it, it, it takes a little bit of getting used to when you're trying to focus on so many things and you have somebody talking to you that only you can hear the broadcast can't hear it. Yeah, and so we don't have that for our everyday text and live production, but for folks that don't know, NFHS, we get contracted to do all the state championships besides football. Right, right. So I've done state – I mean, I've done state radio games for football, which is still just, you know, text and live production. But for NFHS, we do we do basketball, both boys and girls. We do soccer. We do water polo now. We do baseball, softball. We do – I've done tennis. I did tennis for the first time this past year. It was kind of interesting. Yeah. But um, especially for basketball, because it's just it's such a big production. We usually have a production truck. Right. Um, we had the we had like the talk back button and we had the cough talk button. Back. Right That's in front what of us. Yep. yep. And so the talk back button is kind of cool because I'm talking to you know, our producer, Jesse Wolf, who's our chief broadcast yeah. engineer at Texan Live. He's like the best him and Dre Matula are like the best producers like that we have. 
Yeah. I think they're two of the best in the world. And they, they really know what they're doing and, um, and they keep it easy for us to, you know, talk back and they're kind of relaying stuff in our ear. They're like, Hey, don't forget, you know, player of the game or kind of wrapping right, up right. outros and stuff. And, or they're like, and we're like, we're sitting there talking back to them, like, Hey, can you turn me up a little bit? Like, well, right. Right. You know, someone, one of the other guys talking, you know, Chase or Trevor, whoever over here is talking. And um, it's a cool dynamic to be able to talk back to your producer. And that's kind of one of the values I have, like in terms of like, I really value state basketball in that regard because it's like a cool, you know, more, I guess, high end production experience. Yeah. Uh, so that's always been cool. You know, that's probably the only event where we do have the talk back button. But um, this is actually the first year that we did state basketball remote. If you guys watched right. state basketball and NFHS this year, we did the whole thing remote until the very last day of boys. And so I had never done remote broadcasting before. So I'm kind of sitting in the studio. It's we're in like a room, like in humble, like at our, yeah. at our studio. And, um, you know, it doesn't look exactly like you'd think it would look. We had like a giant TV on the wall in front of us. And we had like, you know, Girl Scout cookies sitting in front of us and like our, <laughs> our coffee and our water and then on like yeah. a table. And like, you know, it was a very unorthodox setup. Um, if you, if you'd go in and take a picture of it, but it was, it was a very cool experience and, you know, it was good to add remote broadcasting to my resume. It was different I'm trying to call the game off the screen. I'd say that, um, especially cause there's a couple teams that like, it was kind of hard to read the Jersey numbers when they're sure. going like this, you know, cause you can't Yeah. in basketball, there's no Jersey number on the sleeve, you know, it's right. In football, you have that sometimes in different sports, but in basketball, you know, they're going vertically up and down the court and occasionally like they'll turn if they're like talking to the coach or they're like, you know, they're dishing it to the right or the left, you know, to pass it off. And then you can see the jersey number. So that was definitely a challenge. Broadcaster PSA for all the coaches that are listening that have purchasing power on jerseys. Large script, space in between the numerals, not bunched up together. And a, a, a clear like outline helps with a, like a, a contrast of colors, right? Right. Don't try to do like gray on white or, you know, like that can be difficult, you know, for us to, to, to recognize the kids, but no, yeah, not often, not a problem, but definitely sometimes it, it can be extremely difficult. I, I've been there many a time, even last night, I, I was having some trouble uh, seeing some numbers, but let's talk about, you know, when I, when I first started broadcasting, you know, I, I came straight out of coaching. I'd always seen uh, the guys call, you know, that would come interview us before the games and listen to their broadcast back after our games. And when I was like coaching at Ridgepoint and stuff like that, and, and at all Dean and, I knew I kind of wanted to do it. I'd always kind of enjoyed what they were doing. And I was like, well, now that I'm not coaching, I need to be involved in some kind of way. I was really intrigued by being, being able to call games for my friends, you know, guys like mm -hmm. Jimmy Hammond at seven lakes and, you know, people like that. And Rick LaFavors at Ridgepoint. Like I really wanted to call those games. And so I was able to get on, but I guess the first thing that you got to think about is you talked about a lot of our games were by ourselves, right? So we are, we're essentially the, the you have to have play by play. So we're doing play by play and then we kind of add in our own color also sometimes, right? When we're by ourselves, but we also have those certain games where we get to have a partner. And to me, that's that's where it's at. That's where it's fun. But I guess the thing I want to ask you is the chemistry with your with your on-air partner. You know, learning like I, this thing I had to learn is like when am I supposed to go? Cuz you know, I had a very experienced play by play guy named Roger Smith, you know, a good friend of mine, and I was a, a rookie color guy. And I, it's just kind of trying to find, like, because I feel like I have so much I want to share. I'm fresh out of coaching. I want to talk some X's and O's. But it's like, there's, you know, Roger has to diagnose the play. He's got to, you know, identify the ball care, identify the tackler, you know, things of that nature. And so, there, and especially in today's football, and it's very up-tempo, there's very minimal time for a color guy to get his two cents in edgewise. So I'm just curious for you, man. You've done this a long time now. How do you navigate those situations, especially in up-tempo games? But how do you kind of navigate that give and take between – 
a color guy and a play-by-play guy. Neither of you wants to talk over each other, but you also need to, you have certain things you want to accomplish. So can you, it's, it's really kind of an interesting dynamic. So can you kind of describe that, that how, how you've, uh, your experience with that? I'd say on one hand, it definitely, uh, the, the uh, chemistry comes naturally between, you know, a play-by-play guy and a color guy. Um, I've had coaches and other broadcasters, you know, I've had, I've had basically all of the, every color guy you can probably have in the books over the last five or six years. Um, I'd say it's different having your friends. Like I've, you know, Ch- I've had Chase Snyder and Trevor Bullard who are two of my closest friends in the world. Yeah. You know, they, we switch off on the state events every year and it's cool to have them do color for me or, you know, vice versa. Me do color for them because we're all friends and we kind of know like, Hey, like, Sure. I know Gavin's probably going to stop here because we've all listened to each other for the last five or six years, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, Hey, I know he's about to stop here. Let me go ahead and jump in here and then we'll, right. I'll jump back out and he can start again. Or we all kind of also have this thing where it's like, you know, they don't teach you this, but it's one of the things uh, it's like the Kevin Harlan clip that went viral this past week or two. Um, I saw he's, that. You know, he's, he's holding back his, uh, his fellow broadcasters. Like, Hey, like let the moment. Yeah, man, Gundy, yeah. Right. And that's one of the things that they don't teach you when you first start or, you know, I, I, I never had anyone really teach me how to broadcast, but it's kind of one of the things you pick up where it's like, you know, Hey, in this certain moment, like if it's like, you know, a big play, like late in the game, you know, let it breathe a little bit, let the crowd kind of control the, you know, the volume and the tempo and let them kind of paint the picture for you. Even on TV, um, you know, like I'll make my call, you know, touchdown, you know, whoever with how many, however many seconds or minutes left. And, you know, and then you kind of just, be quiet and let the moment breathe and let the crowd kind of in the moment breathe for itself. So that's, that's the one dynamic that I say people don't think about is sure. you know how good that sounds when, you know, you can kind of just be quiet for a second and let the, you know, the crowd kind of paint the picture. But in terms of color analysts, um, I'd say when you're not used to working with someone or being around someone all the time, it's a little more difficult. Right. Of course, there are people that have the gift of, you know, being a good color analyst. And I'd say I'm not the best color analyst in the world by any means. Um, I think it takes, you know, I'd say usually coaches or, you know, analysts in general are the best at doing that. I think I'm, you know, I want to be able to say I'm good at both, but I think I've turned myself into more of a quote unquote play-by-play guy. Sure. I'm doing it so many more times than I've done color. But I'd say, you know, I had a color guy over the last couple of years, uh, Coach Ryan Roark. Uh, he was the yeah. coach at Angleton. Angleton. Yeah, he was coach at Angleton for a while. And he, let me tell you, he is one of the best color analysts I think I may have ever encountered. Yeah. And like, because we'll be sitting there in the game and I'm like, you know, like they run up the middle, you know, two-yard gain up to the 44-yard line. And he'll come out and he's like, oh, you know, he's like, they pulled the left tackle. He was the swing yeah. tackle. They ran like a 43 trap or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at him and I'm like, dude, like, how do you, how are you able to analyze this play as it's going on? You know? And so it, it's good to have a color analyst that knows the ins and outs of the game. And I think coaches usually are the best at that or former players, even like you see on, you know, you sure. see Troy with Joe or right. Tony with Jim or, you know, Chris with Al the last couple of years, you know, guys like that. And so it's good to have, someone that knows the game better than you uh, as your color analyst. That's the key to it, I'd say. And here's my two cents on color. Cause that, that's, I guess like you, sometimes I have to do play by play when I'm by myself, but like, I prefer being a color guy. Like that's what I, I would love to be paired with you on a game or, you know, you know, and just have you be the play by play. I can just put in, you know, little tidbits here and there. But the thing that I've always really thought about going into the, you know, when I started doing color is I want coaches that listen to this to be like, to be able to tell like, Oh yeah, that guy has coached. At the same time, I want like someone like, like my mom, you know, when she first started learning football, like someone who's completely brand new to the game to understand what the heck I'm talking about. And yeah. so I, I try not to use a lot of the 
very technological jargon or things of that nature. Like it's just that mixture of technically describing what happened, but also doing it in a fan friendly way. And so that's always my balance. I want like a first time listener and a head football coach, like a Jimmy Hammond or something to both walk away enjoying, you know, whatever I brought to it. So that's for anyone listening that, that kind of, this is interesting to think about. Um, now let, let's talk about this as far as, uh, you know, people you look up to in the sport, like when I, you, you're just you and I'm the same way. Like I just, I'm just myself. However, I think that, you know, there are certain pro broadcasters that probably resemble, resemble that. You know, recently we were laughing about, I got a Twitter comment after a Bridgeland soccer game. I don't know who this person is. I would love to meet them. Hopefully we do another Bridgeland game. I'm gonna try to find this person, but they tweeted me and said, coach Kovo sounds like a mixture of Kevin Harlan and Gus Johnson. And I said, Oh my God, those are like my two favorites. I love Kevin Harlan. He's just incredible, incredible talent. Yeah. And but I would say Gus Johnson reminds me the most of myself, just kind of the way that, that he gets excited. I'm a big Big Ten guy, so I see a lot of Gus Johnson. I like Joel Klatt is kind of like a, a color guy that I enjoy listening to, just very measured. And you know, I, I really like his analysis. But for you, do you have certain, you know, big name guys that either A, you just really like, or B, you kind of almost try to model or you found that your style kind of aligns with those broadcasters? And so one of the things they'll tell you, I guess, when you first start, if, you know, whether you're in school or just kind of you have someone that's done it for, that's done it for a while that's teaching you, is they'll say, okay, you hear what Joe Buck just said on TV, like yesterday during the Cowboys game or whatever, you know, sure, like you may want to sound exactly like a Joe Buck or like an Al Michaels or, you know, whoever, but they, they tell you, you want to find your own kind of flavor and your own mix sure. of broadcasting and you want to create your own sound they one of the things i try to tell myself you know because i'll get to the guys i admire in a second but one of the things i try to tell myself is okay while i let's say i love joe buck or let's say i love al michaels you know you can want to be the next al michaels but first you have to be the first gavin moritz or the first you know right. coach Kobo. you have to you know find your own sound and kind of formulate it yourself and it's okay to look up to other guys and you know, kind of take little things here and there but you can't exactly, you know, mimic them because people will catch on to that because people, yeah. you know, we listen to those guys like every Sunday, every Saturday, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, it's OK to, like I said, you know, pick up stuff here and there, but you want to really create your own sound, which I think was something that I kind of had to learn how to do over the last few years. I'd say my first couple of years, it was more of just kind of figuring out what am I doing here? Sure. And like, sure. you know, how do I how do I, you know, sound like these guys? And then I think over the last probably three or four years, when I kind of started to find my rhythm and kind of find my own sound and, you know, you just want to find your own voice. I think I try to, you know, I think I figured out that I can't try to be, you know, Joe Buck or whoever, you know? And well, so I'd say guys, oh, go I'd ahead. Say guys Sorry, go. oh yeah, I'd say guys that I model myself after guys that I look up to though, um, for football, Al Michaels has always been my favorite. Legend. I'm a big Al Michaels guy for Legend. football um basketball i'd say kevin harlan's one that you know he's i think one of the best in the business agreed um baseball is interesting because baseball is one that i think is probably the most common that people think they could probably do per se because mm. you know we, uh, baseball is the great american pastime you know you have i think everyone in some capacity likes baseball i think it's a very it's probably the most popular sport right now i'd say besides football but i'd say baseball has the most people that think or want or do you know announce it yeah and so i'd say for baseball my favorite is don orsillo of course the padres i'm got my padres jersey there it on. is yeah um don orsillo is my favorite he was the voice of the red Sox for a while for a long time 
And so growing up, he's kind of, and he does games for TBS during the playoffs of his, you know, when he's not doing the Padres or the Red Sox. And so he's one of the guys that I grew up kind of listening to, um, not just because of my, you know, the Padres over the last, you know, however many years, but um, he started being the voice of the Padres, I want to say in 2014, 2015, around that range, when he got done with the Red Sox. But he's done, you know, he's done games for TBS. And I think he is probably my favorite, just because I think his inflection is phenomenal. I think he knows what to say and when to say it the best. So I'd say he's probably my favorite for baseball. And then for football and basketball, it's Al Michaels and uh, Kevin Harlan. Sideline reporters. Are they considered a different, you know, genus or, or family of broadcasters? Is it a separate skill set? Or are you, do, you, do you feel like they're lumped in as part of, you know, I'm just curious because it's kind of different because I, I just think about the Astros. I'm curious your thoughts on Todd Callis and, and Blummer and Julia Morales because I, right. I just feel like they have incredible chemistry, the three of them together. And I, I think Julia Morales is a, a really, really good. Same with all three of them, honestly, really, really good. So just kind of curious about that. I don't know if you get to work with a sideline reporter often. I, I never really have. I've never tossed it to the sideline or anything, but kind of curious your, th- your thoughts on, on that dynamic. And so they are, I guess, they have a different skill set than, sure, than sure. you or I have doing doing a broadcast. But they are still sportscasters, you know. Correct. Yep. It's just a very different skill set, a very different side of it. Um, I did sideline reporting for the first time this within the last month. It was early March I, when I was at State Basketball for Boys that last day in, at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. Um, I kind of got thrown into sideline reporting um, a couple of days before we kind of found out, hey, like we're going to have to do this. And it was a different dynamic for sure. I think the first time was a little probably a little rocky, I'm sure. Um, but it was it was a very cool experience. It was a very rewarding one to get to see kind of that side of it. Because I've done the producing, I've done the play-by-play, I've done the color, and now I get to do sideline reporting. And, you know, I'm sure there are people at it that are much better than I am, but it was a very fun experience getting to, you know, talk to the coaches post-game, kind of be able to do that yeah. that TV interview of, you know, hey, you just won the ring, you just, you know, you just won the state championship, like, you know, what, like what's going through your head or what happened, you know, you guys had a 14 to two run in the, over the last four minutes, you know, like yeah. what happened there. And it was a different dynamic, but I I will say that there are people that I've kind of, I had watched do it a little bit just to kind of get a feel for how to do sideline reporting. And so at Dave Campbell's, we have, you know, a lot of people know Ashley and Mallory, Ashley Pickle, Mallory yeah. and Hartley. They are, they're very hardworking Dave Campbell's employees. They're, they're two of the best sportscaster you know anything in the business you know yeah, i love yeah. i love both of them and um but they're also very very great sideline reporters and so yeah. i was kind of like watching some of their stuff and i kind of was texting ashley and mallory like you know like the day or two before i'm like hey like do you have any tips here or kind of like you know like how should i handle yeah, this yeah. situation and you know so for them to kind of give me the guidance to do that it was it was a good experience um for the Astros, honestly, though, I think they all work together so well. Yeah, I love Todd Callis. He, I'd say he's one I of my too. he's in my top two or three for baseball. Absolutely, and because I my uh, my parents growing up, you know, they're huge Astros fans. Especially my stepdad, he's a huge Astros yeah. fan, and so he watches the Astros like like religiously. Like every time they're on, he is watching the Astros on yeah. you know AT and T Sportsnet. Yeah, and so I heard a lot of Todd Callis over the last few years uh, growing up. And I think he, him and Blummer work really well together. Julie Morales is, she's so good at sideline and she does her thing so well. And they all have, like you said, just great chemistry. And that's, that's another thing that people don't realize, especially for like big, you know, TV college or pro style productions is like, yes, the play by play and the color analyst have to have that chemistry, but they also have to have chemistry with the sideline reporter. That's right. Yeah. They have to know like, Hey, if I'm going to kick it over here is, are they going to be ready when I kick it over to them or are they going to, you know, and then they have the sideline reporter has to be able to kick it back to them too. It's going to, you know, it's kind of one of the, 
you know, like coach, you just said this, you know, guys back to you or whatever. So it, sure. it's a lot of, it, there's a lot of chemistry that goes into it. And I think that that's what makes, you know, teams like the guys, you know, Julia and Blummer and Todd Callis. That's what makes the Astros broadcast. I think so great for, you know, Houston area folks is just how well they work together. I love it. And then, you know, I think sometimes I get a little turned off from like, and this is a whole other side of broadcasting, but like kind of the, the pregame show set up like in, in the studio, like, Sometimes right. when it's just too much yucking it up and laughing at every little dumb joke, I just, I get a little turned off by that, you know? And mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, man, can you just give me information, you know? Or, or obviously like hot take style shows. And again, another different side of like sports yeah. media, which is not what, what you do, you know? But what I like about Julia Morales, she's just, she doesn't try too hard. I feel like she's smooth. She's calm. She's collected. She's got charm, you know, like. I don't like it when I see people just trying too hard and, you know, in those positions. So I, I think she masterfully does that where she, you can tell she's having fun with the players. The players love her. You know, they play little pranks on her, just stuff like that. That that's gold to me. That's TV gold. So, you know, kudos, kudos to all them. Also kudos to Jim Nance. He got quite a bit of a run here in March Madness. He's a U of H alum. And he's also, he's to me, he's up there with like Kevin Harlan. Like he's that kind of yeah. kind of status, but okay. Let's, let me ask you about this. You know, let's talk about, you're you're a young man. You're, you said you're 21 years old. You know, we hear all the time in the news about, you know, younger younger generations really struggling with mental health. And the reason I ask about this, probably wondering where, where is Coach Kova going with this, but being a public figure, I mean, you, you are a public figure in a way. You know, someone right. like yourself that's on TV or streamed a lot and a lot of passionate fans are following. You probably have a good, you know, Twitter following, or at least, you know, through text and live as well. I mean, a lot of people are, are liking and retweeting and commenting, you know, on your performance. And so I just think about the fact that, you know, I got a positive comment. I don't get many comments and luckily that one right. is positive, but you know, I, I host another show um, called H town Pick'em, which you're, you're going to be a guest on in the fall, but we pick high school games. And I remember one time I famously, I, I had promoted how I picked Memorial to win a game over Cy fair and boy, did the Cy fair nation come after me and tell me I was wrong. And they, they put my face, literally, they printed out like my screenshot of me saying that and put it on their lockers and they went out and beat the crap out of Memorial. So I was wrong. So I had to eat crow, but. I got to admit, man, it's all in good fun. At least for me, I, it was a honest, like I wasn't trying to throw shade at Cy Fair, but like going through those Twitter interactions, have so many people just kind of making snarky comments back at you on Twitter. I mean, I got to admit, I got to admit like that. I didn't love that. Like I'm not here trying to do hot takes and trying to, I'm not doing hot takes to get Twitter interaction. I can promise you that right. that was new for me to kind of get negative attack, you know, on social media, not attack, but you know, negative, you know, kind of feedback on social media. So I'm curious for you someone that that's you're way more in the public spotlight than I am. I mean, I know one knows who I am, you know, what's it like, you know, do you get some of that sometimes? Do you get some kind of trolls coming through you on, you know, on social media? And then how, how do you deal with that? Um, I'd say it happens every now and then I'd say I haven't got a ton as of late. I think earlier in the career, I think when I was, you know, still in high school, I think I probably got a little bit more. I think I'm a little, I'd like to think I'm a little more seasoned now than I was when I was 16, of course. I think that's kind of the goal. Yeah. Um, but honestly, it did used to bother me a little bit, but now it's kind of, one of those things you have to try to brush off just because it's yeah. like, it's one of those things that a lot of people think they can do until they would have to do it, I guess, is kind of the thing I have to tell myself. And that a lot of people, like I said, like if they, if they remember your name and they remember something you said, it's either a really good thing or it's a really bad thing. And so I think, especially on Twitter, you know, Twitter is one of those places where it's like, you know, it's it's everything of a grain of salt, right? (laughs) Right. It's a place to have fun and, you know, put out, you know, everyone's got to take on everything. And um, I love Twitter. I'm a big Twitter fan, but I think it's like one of those things where, like you said, everyone's got to take on something and you kind of take everything with a grain of salt. Um, Sure. 
but it is definitely it's not easy to see someone like you know kind of sit there and like rip you apart you know your whole broadcast I guess um and that's one of the things I've kind of had to learn to deal with is just people not liking you know, certain, what I said here what I said here my voice or you know like just my entire broadcast and I think I'd say it is a little negative on the mental. Um, sure. It's one of those things you have to kind of learn to brush off. But uh, you said, you know, the mental health thing. I'm a big advocate, again, for like mental health and stuff. I yeah. I have a lot of uh, a lot of anxiety, especially pregame for broadcasting. I, sure. I get sure. very anxious before I have to go on every single time. And I've done this, I'd say, in the neighborhood of a thousand broadcasts. Wow. In the last six years, I think I tried to count them up recently. And it's about, it's about a thousand or so. And I, before every single one, I still have this like pit in my stomach and I still like shake a little bit and I get like sweaty and it's, you know, it's still like, it's the first one, like all over again. So it's, there's a lot that goes into it, you know, besides just, you know, putting on a headset and just talking about, you know, fastballs or, you know, touchdown catches or passes for two or three hours at a time. There's a lot more that goes into it, especially like at a personal level. Yeah. No, I understand, man. We are human beings, right? So, I mean, right. th- these things are going to have an effect. I mean, for some people less than others, but I guess that is, that is like the, the drawback of the pick them thing is, you know, every time I pick a winner, that means I'm also picking a loser and it's not to throw shade, but sometimes it can rile up a fan base. But at the end of the day, I guess that's good for the show. And I appreciate that at least giving us, you know, some, some, some feedback there, but, uh, but yeah, man, I, I totally, I totally understand. The last question I have on the art of broadcasting before we move on. I'm also a big XFL fan. You know, mm-hmm. on this same YouTube channel, we do the high school pick, and we we also talk about we pick XFL games. And so, please, if you haven't done this already, please follow my YouTube channel at H Town Pick'em. You can just go into YouTube and search H Town Pick'em. You'll see our playlist of our high school season, and then you'll see our now we're doing XFL. Have you watched any of this? I don't know if you watched the XFL, but they're really giving a lot more access, and that's the kind of thing I like about these developmental leagues in the spring. They're willing to try new things, and maybe the NFL just hasn't done one to rock the boat or try new things like the. You know, the original XFL was the first to kind of use like the suspended camera, you know, above the field and things of that nature. There's a couple of things I like and I don't like. And I'm just kind of curious to get your take on it because you're a much more seasoned broadcaster than I am. Okay, so I think the biggest thing that I would say uh, as far as the changes, you know, that we're getting from the NFL to the XFL or one of the more experimental like spring leagues is that we can hear everything the official is saying. Correct. Right, which I was, I was thinking I was watching a video of it like last night or the night before. I think someone sent one to me, and it was like, I don't know if you saw, I think it was the Roughnecks. I was watching, I know exactly. Let's, let's dive into this because I was watching. Yes, go ahead. So, one of the, one of the officials, if you guys haven't seen it, uh, he was saying, you know, they're in the officials' huddle, they're discussing, and they're like, he's like, hey, like, we're going to go ahead and give a personal foul to number three for Houston or whoever he was. Like, he just, he squirted me with like a bottle of water from like the sideline, and they're kind of like, okay, like, what do we, what do we do here? And they're like, okay, well, in terms of disqualification, you know, like efforts or whatever, this is his first. It's like, you know, the warning, basically. He's got one more till he's out of here. And it's like, you know, and he, he said in like the, the official call, he's, you know, the the uh, official came out and he was like, you know, personal foul number three of Houston squirted the official with a bottle of water from the sideline. Yeah. It was really like kind of weird, but uh, I think it's an interesting dynamic for sure to like kind of watch that from the NFL to like the XFL. Because the, the NFL is like strictly business, right? Yeah. And you're not getting like- They're the not going to give us that access, stuff. right? Right. And the XFL, I think that's kind of where it's more, I'd say, lenient and kind of more lighthearted. Is that a little more getting... entertainment. Well, it's right. all entertainment, but a little, right. you know, yeah. And when The Rock is running your league, of right. course, you're going to have more of the entertainment factor. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I kind of enjoy getting to hear what the officials are saying. And it, it was funny. It, it honestly was, oh, yeah. I, I laughed out loud when the official, he literally came up to the head official and said, 
he squirted me with water. I mean, it's <laughs> like a kid. And then they're like, well, what do you want me to do? You know, it's like, well, it should be a, it should be a, you know, unsportsmanlike like content. So and then earlier they were like, uh, they were talking about ejecting a player and they're, mm-hmm. you know, you could, you could hear the conversation. Like, hey, let's make an example of him. You want to toss him? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's toss him. And so they're showing the player that's about to get tossed. He has no idea he's about to get tossed. Like they're, they're zooming in on him. And then the officials like, right. Hey, you know, is our nose guard, you know, number 92 has been eliminated, ejected from the game. <laughs> but it is cool to get to get some of that. But here's the one that I don't like. I know a lot of people love how Tony Romo can kind of listen, you know, to the calls, line of scrimmage and, and kind of predict plays. And I think that's kind of OK. But whenever in the XFL, when we're getting the exact play call, I think his name might be Cole Kublik. But I just wasn't a fan of like his color of every time like they they listen to the play call and then Kubik's like, oh, you know, Right trips, 34 razor. This is gonna be a boot. You know, it's like every time he's telling us what the play is gonna be because he's he, he's sat in meetings during the week, he knows all the terminology. So he's just like, Where's the suspense? And number two, you're completely talking over your play by play guy. He can't set up anything because the color guy is is ho- taking hostage the whole broadcast to listen to the play call and then translate what it is. I'm fine if maybe every now and then you give us the feed and like, we okay, you diagnose one play in a drive. Fine, I guess. But like, it was kind of like over and over and over. Maybe that's something that they backed off of because I haven't seen as much of that. But like, I did not enjoy that. I did not enjoy like a color guy talking the entire time and telling us what the play is going to be every play. Right. And you kind of want your color analyst to be able to like take the reins every now and then and kind of like, you're like, I'll kind of point to my, you know, my color analyst to my right or my left, whatever. And I'm like, Hey, like, go ahead and take this real quick. And then, you know, I'll jump back in. It's it, it, again, it goes with the chemistry kind of thing. You don't want either one of you though. There, there has to be a healthy balance. You don't want either one of you to kind of take the like control of the whole broadcast. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but going back to the thing where it's like, you know, you're, we're listening to the play being called and then they're like kind of saying, this means they're running a bootleg to the right side. And then he's going to, you know, hit the hitch route or whatever. It's yeah. like you want some things to be left up to suspense. And I guess like I agree. in like in like the lull of the game, if you're in like the second or the third quarter or something, you know, it's like, and let's say it's like maybe a blowout or something, you know, then it's probably every now and then it's probably like, you know, like, okay, like, sure. You know, we're testing something out here and we're, we're kind of toying with the idea of like, you know, saying what we're going to do in this capacity in terms of, you know, let's go and predict the play and then say what they're going to do. And like, that's okay in certain scenarios, but I think kind of in the late game stages, like, okay, can you imagine, let's, let's think about it like this. Can you imagine if like Super Bowl 48 Seahawks Patriots, <laughs> um, or I think it was 40, it was 49, Super Bowl 49 Seahawks Patriots, Russell Wilson's up there. He's in the huddle. They're on like the two yard line. Yeah. And we have, you know, Chris Collins where it's like, Oh my gosh, they're going to throw it. Right. Instead right. of handing it off to Marshawn. And in that, think about it like that, that probably would have tainted the whole experience for everyone watching the Super Bowl at home. Yeah. Because, you know, they get to the line, everyone's thinking they're going to run it with Marshawn Lynch. And then Chris Collinsworth is like, ah, they're actually going to throw it here. They're sure. actually going to throw this like pick slant route type thing. Totally. And it kind of takes the suspense out of the whole thing. And then, you know, so it's not really a surprise when Russ rears back and throws it. And the only surprise left is Malcolm Butler coming out of nowhere. I, I totally agree. And I, I think Romo does a better job of it where it's not it's all the time. And I think that was just maybe they're trying it. And they probably got the same feedback I'm giving and they backed off a little bit. But like, I'm like you, I'd rather have the suspense or maybe late in the game, blowout, it's getting kind of boring. Hey, let's right. go ahead and listen into the feed and Cole, tell us what you're hearing, you know? But mm. okay. So one other thing that I, I'm not as big of a fan of is when they immediately 
will like grab players and interview them like right after they've scored touchdowns. And so many times yeah. these players are like gasping for breath and like, do you have a guy like his arm around him? Like, Hey, we would, you know, like I say, let the players breathe a little bit and, and again, find the right time when there's a lull in the game and they're, you know, like th- that's just me. You know, I, I, I'm not a big fan of like the constant sideline interviewing in game or like managers. I, that's just, I mean, maybe I'm just old school or whatever, but like, you know, you think of like the Greg Popovich, like not happy to be there. He's in the middle of coaching an intense game. He's having to answer questions. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe I just prefer certain times like before or after how is your, am I, am I just, is this old man get off my, my, my porch kind of thing for me? Am I getting too old? Like not loving all the, so much in-game interview. <laughs> no, I actually agree with you on this one. And okay. so that means either we're right, or that means I'm an old man get off my lawn <laughs> kind of guy too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I definitely think that like interviewing guys like during the game is, it's a little peculiar and it's something we're not used to. Sure. Like, they're, you're you, right. They're, you they're trying, like, trying something new and see how, yeah. Right. Like, can you imagine, like, okay, like, let's say back in the day, like, 10, 15 years ago, let's say Vince Wilfork, like, scoops up, like, a, you know, a fumble or something and takes right. it, like, 75 yards to the house. And Vince Wilfork's, like, you know, like, gasping for breath because he's, he's, a, he's, a, you know, he's a big defensive tackle. Yeah. And we're still trying to interview him and he's still trying to catch his breath or whatever, or, like, really anyone. It's, like, it's just kind of awkward and it's kind of, like, I agree. maybe we should let them breathe for a second. And you, especially because, like, as a play-by-play guy, you know, you're calling the play and it's, like, you know, you know, 10-5, you know, he's in for the touchdown. We're Now we're going to kick it down to Coach Kobo, who's right there in the end zone, ready to talk to Antonio Brown or, you know, Larry Fitzgerald or whoever. That literally happened in one of these games. I don't remember the guy's name, but he's kind of a, a big, bald guy. But he, he, he was standing in the end zone. And as right. soon as the receiver, he receiver's like celebrating a touchdown dancing, he runs over and grabs him and starts interviewing. I'm like, just that's way too much. But yeah, I lied. One more question. I just okay. want to learn. I want to learn something from you right here. You know, for me, me and Roger, who've done a lot of broadcasts together, like, you know, we, we're old friends. And so a lot of times, like during the breaks, we kind of, I mean, this is just me, you know, we just kind of like relax or just talk about something else or just, you know, maybe check our phone or something like that nature. But I'm curious for you, when you're doing these like really high level games, like a state title game, I'm curious for these high level teams, you know, like yourself, you know, and Chase and Trevor and guys that have done all these big games. Like what is, what's your conversation during the break? Like, so when, when we go to commercial break, what are you guys talking about? Is it is it more of just relaxing, catching your breath, like just taking a second to to breathe, or is it that you're actually kind of like strategizing and talking about certain things that happen? And hey, I want to adjust this, I want to adjust that. I'm really always curious to get a peek behind the curtain there. What, what are you guys talking about during breaks? So it's definitely a little bit of both. Um, I think in one aspect, you have to be able to breathe a little bit and kind of you know catch your breath and kind of just relax because if you're kind of if you're going full speed, like full throttle, 100 broadcast mode the whole time. It's, it's okay, but it's like, I think you have to be able to take a breath and have a little bit of fun with it. Right. So I'd say, I'd say half the time, maybe 60, 70% of the time we're talking like, okay, you know, when we come back, like, Hey, we're going to address this or, you know, this, she just came back in from, you know, getting her knee checked out. Like we're going to address that. Or we're talking to our producer next to us or back in the truck or whatever. And we're like, Hey, like when we come back, we're going to do this. Like, can you run the highlight that we just clipped of this play from like 30 seconds ago in game time? But then at the same time, it's also like you were sitting there and we're like, hey, like you see like you see the fan down there that's got like, you know, the the logo painted on his chest or, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And or you see like that crazy, you know, like wig that they've put on like this giant blue wig for this blue team or something in the stands, you know. So it's kind of like you want to keep it strategic, but you also want to keep it lighthearted because you want to kind of have a little bit of both like dynamics there just so it's not you want to have it fun, but you also want to keep it serious at the same time. So you don't want it to be like strictly like a hundred percent and just 
you know, broadcast mode the whole time. But you, you know, during breaks, it's okay to lighten up a little bit and have a, a little bit of fun just to keep yourself, you know, a little loose and kind of relaxed. Oh, this this has been great. This portion you've given me a master's course in broadcasting, <laughs> and I've become a better broadcaster. So I'm going to take that with me with me to my next broadcast. But you know, one thing that the, the main reason I do this podcast, and I share this with all my listeners, you know, I, I kind of had a, a rough childhood in terms of some stuff happening at home and, you know, my relationship with my dad and, you know, the, the kind of person that he was, you know, during when I was growing up and everything. And so I really needed my coaches. They were that positive male influence for me that really changed my life and sent me in a, in a really positive direction. And so I love coaches. I, I've always loved coaches when I was a player and I, I've been a coach and now I'm out, out of coaching. I just want to like scream from the rooftops how great these men and women are for our society. I'm, I'm, I'm very serious about this. And now that I'm broadcasting and I don't have the headset on anymore, I'm not on the sideline, the band playing, football is a little different. We have our press boxes, you know, in these big stadiums. But, like, you know, when you do a basketball game, a lot of times you're in the bleachers. Baseball may be kind of the same way. I hear a lot of the stuff sometimes. The crowd mic will pick it up sometimes. You hear negative stuff coming out of parents' mouths. And, like, I'm just really against that. You know, I recently, uh, you know, I've talked to Coach LaFavors, another guest of ours, and we were talking about how, you know, almost every coach is going to say, really, the parents' role is just to support and love your child. You know, and I know that now that I've become a dad, I'm never going to question. I couldn't care less what play call they do. I just want your coaches to love my son and develop him, you know. And so I'm just curious for you. You've been around sports a lot. You're there in these bleachers, and you're hearing probably, I'm, I'm assuming you've heard a lot of negative stuff from time to time. What's your take on it? Because for me, I'm really against it. And I always ask, I always ask my guests, can you give any advice? Because you've seen a lot of it. Like, what advice do you give to parents? I think when you're doing that, that's not helping your kid in any kind of way. You know, so I'm just curious from maybe I always talk to coaches. I'm really curious for someone who's like, you're in athletics, but maybe not a coach. What's your perspective on negative behavior in the stands? I don't think there's a big place for it. I think it comes down to, you know, sports are supposed to be a positive thing, you know, and especially at the level that I'm covering that you and I are covering, it's, it's about the kids, you know? And so I think, I think as a parent, it's okay to maybe criticize, you know, your son or your daughter, whoever, after the game, kind of tell them like, you know, maybe you should have tried, you know, like maybe you should have bunted like this way, or you should have, you should have, you know, constructive criticism. You're saying, right. But I think to kind of tear your kid apart, it's not something that, I think there's a place for, especially in the stands, you know, yelling like across the gym or the field, you know, and like, I think it comes down to, you know, you can't, I don't think you should be yelling at like your son or especially another, another person's, you know, you know, son or daughter, whoever, Absolutely. or the coach, you know, cause like, that's not really your place, especially I think yelling at another player. That's not your kid yeah, or whatever. I think that's completely uncalled for, but I think, I do think positivity is like the best, you know, reinforcement you can give. Um, Th- Let me ask you yeah. this. What should the rest of us do as fans? Because I've struggled with this many a time because I had a situation where I, w- I was actually setting up for a broadcast. You know, so mm-hmm. there's a game going on before mine. I start, I strike up a conversation with some parents and they're very friendly at first. And then I realized, I didn't even know this because it was a basketball tournament. So I didn't really know what the matchups were going to be. I realized that the, the, the game that's going on right now, one of my buddies is the head coach. Mm-hmm. And so I, I and this, these parents are from that team. I said, oh, hey, your, your head coach is a good f- a friend of mine instantly their demeanor changes mm. and basically a dad turns around right in and he goes well you might want to cover your ears then because we don't like him and you're not gonna like what you're about to hear like literally I, I my jaw dropped and i literally said oh all right okay you know it's kind of like going, all righty then moments like yeah i was floored and i was very close to kind of 
as the course of the game went on, as you can imagine, these parents were yelling at officials during like during those moments when the gym is dead silent. They're screaming at these officials. They're yet they're talking about other players on the team, just like you mentioned. They're talking about the coach and his substitution patterns and how he doesn't know what he's doing. And obviously, very loud voices to where we can all hear it. I was very close to, to kind of confronting them and saying, "Hey, you, people like you are the problem with athletics, you know." But I I didn't, and I, I've gotten a lot of feedback as I've asked coaches about this. They tell me, no, don't, don't do that. You know, don't, don't confront, you know, the best move is to talk to the administrator on duty, you know, just let the administrator, let them, let them sort it out. And I agree with that, but I'm just curious for you. Is there anything we can do as a, other fans in the stands to try to combat this behavior, whether it's maybe being us being extra positive or should we let it go? Or should we tell administrator, what's your take on it? I'd say telling an admin would be the best uh, yeah. administrator on duty would be the best course of action just because like you don't want to put yourself in a scenario or a situation where you're being forced to confront someone that, you know, or, you know, you don't want to kind of go back and forth and kind of hurl, like, you know, if they're saying something negative, you're kind of like either saying something counter negative or counter positive, sure, sure. you know, yeah. but the administrators that are on duty are there to handle stuff like that. And I've seen several fans get tossed over the years. I saw one get tossed in basketball season this past year at a playoff game. Um, Do you feel like I, they deserved it? I'm curious. What, what, what did you see? What were they doing? Um, they were deaf. I'm not going to say what game it was or anything, but they were yeah. yelling at the official the whole time. And one, I think the last straw was, they were like, you're the problem official. Like, like you were the problem all night. Like it's always been you mm. and the admin and they basically, the, the official looked right at the person in the stands and they were like, and the yeah. admin came over and like got them and like took them out immediately. Yeah. And I think, I think there, it's okay to say like, you know, to chirp a little bit here and there. I've always been, you know, a, if you want to chirp a little bit here and there, like go for it. But sure. when it comes to yelling at the coaches or like, you know, if you're being really demeaning to a player, whether it's your player or not, yeah, especially the officials too, who are just there, you know, we'll get to the officials thing in just a second, but I think there's no place for that. I think let the admin handle it. But I think especially to yell at the officials, that's one that bothers me a lot. Yeah, I agree. Right now we have such a shortage. Correct. Officials, you know, correct. And there's a lot of people that don't want to do it anymore for, you know, either because of, you know, the pandemic that happened or because of, you know, just other factors like people not being very nice to them in terms of like, you know, hurling insults at them during the game the whole time or, you know, trying to find them in the parking lot or whatever. It's like, yeah. you know, they're there to make sure we're able to play the game. You cannot play a, a UIL game, an organized sporting event without the officials. So why are we sitting there berating them the whole time? You know, they're, they're there to do their job. You may not agree with a call or two or, you know, a bunch of them, but at the end of the day, they're not to me completely affecting the outcome of the game. I totally so agree. I couldn't agree more. And, and we, we have had an official on the show. So that, you know, I definitely want to get more though. Cause I, 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 the way that I value broadcasters, I value officials and coaches all the same. We, we need all of us, yeah. you know, in, in this ecosystem, you know, so couldn't agree with you more. Okay. So in terms of some famous people that you've met, one of your sports idols growing up. And this is a really cool one. You hear this every day. So I, I really love where your head is at. But at the Super Bowl experience in downtown Houston, when you were a sophomore in high school, you were walking around with your friends and you ran into Doug Flutie. Yeah. And so you, you listed Doug Flutie as one of your sports idols. So kind of just go into that. You know, why, why was he your idol? And then what was it like getting to meet him in person? So I definitely had a lot of them growing up. But Doug Flutie to me, more so than his playing, you know, career, I guess, was just the way he handled being – you know, what was he, like five seven? Yeah, he's not five a eight. Guy. And he played quarterback. You know, his Boston College, and then you know he's he's got you know a famous hail mary, and he's got yeah. you know he played in the league like both Canadian football and the NFL forever. And 
very successfully I, as as well. Right. And he kind of retired right after I was born, like a couple within the next couple of years after. So I never got to watch him play like per se, you know, on Sundays when I was sitting there in the living room with my family and I'm like, oh, there's Doug Flutie playing. You know, this is so cool. It was more of one of those things where I'm studying the history of the game, kind of growing up through grade school. And you kind of you're like, who's this Doug Flutie guy? And you kind of okay, the Hail Mary in college. And then you're like, well, he kind of got grief, you know, his whole career for being so tiny. And it's like right. And growing up, I was, I was always like, especially my little league teams when I was, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade, whatever it was, I was the smallest kid on my team in fifth grade. Yeah. I was about four, eight, four, nine, maybe. I think I weighed like yeah. 65, 70 pounds. Yeah. And I was playing wide receiver for our, like our little league team. And I think, and I got, I got some grief, you know, the guys on the team or, you know, yeah. the other teams, they'd be like, you know, like, oh, like go ahead and throw the fade route or whatever to, you know, you know, pipsqueak over there. And I was like the smallest right. kid. And so, sure. you know, it's like, you want to find someone, I guess the whole point of having like, you know, role models and, you know, idols is for them to try to give you a positive influence and stuff. I think for Doug Flutie, the way he handled being so tiny and, you know, still playing with like a bigger stature than what he was actually listed at or what he actually was, was a big influence on me just because I, you know, felt like I was undersized, you know, I was very tiny kid and Doug Flutie was always one that was cool to me. And so me and my friends were at the Super Bowl experience in downtown Houston when, you know, it was Falcons Patriots that year. And we're downtown and we're walking around and we're like, okay, like what's going on over here? And they're like, oh, Doug Flutie's about to do like pictures and, you know, you know, shake hands, you know, make, you know, meet and greet and stuff. And I was, and they're kind of like my friends, you know, maybe, maybe we're kind of like, oh, like, you know, that's kind of cool. And I was like, we're here, like we are doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And so I actually still have a picture on my, uh, on my Instagram. It's like one of my older pictures and it's me and Doug Flutie. And I was 16 and I was a very thin kind of lanky kid. And I was still taller than him at 16 years old. And it was cool to kind of put it in perspective and kind of see like, okay, like there are kids that are my age that are taller than this guy who played for the Chargers, who played for the Patriots, you know, whatever. Yeah. And he in the Bills and he played in the league, you know, for a long time. And he was a very successful quarterback for his size. You know, I mean, he played his heart out every time he's touched the field. Yeah. And so I think, I think I may have asked him at one point, you know, just like, you know, like something, I don't forget exactly what it was. It was so long ago now. I was, you know, I'm 21 now. It's probably 15 or 16, probably 15 then. And I think I asked him something about, you know, like, or I told him, you know, I really looked up to you as someone that was tiny and like a very small football player growing up. And I think this is so cool that, you know, mm-hmm. you're regarded as like a hero by so many people. And you're like one of the more, the more famous football players, you know, in the history of the game. And, you know, it was, it was a very cool experience to get to yeah. meet him and kind of put it in perspective and just, you know, get to meet and greet with one of the guys that you grew up, you know, saying, I want to be like that guy. There's an old saying, there's an old saying, never meet your heroes. Right. That, that's because sometimes, you know, you idolize this guy and then you meet him in person. They're a jerk. I'm assuming that was not Doug Flutie. It sounds like he, he was exactly how we all imagine. Very no, nice. He, he was a super cool guy. I don't, I haven't met many people that I, in general, am doing this that I think I wouldn't want to meet again. Like, there are, there are most yeah. of them are very, very nice people. And there's a reason that they have them out doing these events. I agree. And so I, that's an old saying. I don't agree with it. And mm-hmm. I, I know it's been a saying for a long time. People say that, but like, I've never, that's never been the truth for me. All right. the sports heroes and celebrities that I've met have been awesome, you know, but maybe I've just been blessed in that regard. So let's talk about um, just doing your job. Obviously any others that kind of like any other kind of a funny story where you met somebody famous and you had a, a cool interaction or, or kind of Doug Flutie, just take the cake. I'd say Doug Flutie still takes the cake. Um, I'm trying to think there's a bunch of people that I probably met doing this. Um. I will say every year at state basketball, it seems like I get closer and closer to saying hello to Scott Drew. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, 
as as a Baylor fan, you know, I love Baylor basketball. Yeah. I'd say they're my basketball team at the collegiate level. And so I kind of brushed by him. Every, like I brushed by him like a couple Saturdays ago when I was at the state, the boys state basketball championships that Saturday. And I walked right past him and I was like, ah, oh, there's Scott and Drew, you know? Yeah. Like that's kind of a cool one just because he's such, he seems like such a cool guy. Um, so we used to do touchdown club every year, the touchdown club dinner, you know, yeah, yeah, Bayou event center, whatever it was. And, um, all the coaches would come there every year to kind of say, okay, you know, the guy that I have come to play tight end for me next year, he's a finalist for offensive player of the year or whatever. So all the coaches are there. I'd say out of all the ones that I met, um, coach McGuire was awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, coach Aranda was a really cool one. Yeah. And so I think I've met all of them. I met Jimbo. I met Coach Sark. I met Tom Herman back in the day. Yeah. I met, you know, Aranda, McGuire. I met all those guys. Uh, Coach Trailer's awesome as well. Yeah, yeah. They're all very, very nice guys. Dave Aranda, though, was a really cool one. As, again, like a Baylor guy, that like I just love Baylor athletics. He was one of the guys that I was like, oh, my gosh, like there's Dave Aranda. I may have to go, you know, at least shake his hand take a photo with him or something just yeah. to, you know, just for down the road. Oh, and he was a very, very cool guy. But Coach Trailer and Coach McGuire, I'd say, have the most personality of any of the coaches I've met. Yeah. You know, we tell they're like, hey, like, how's it going? And I'm like, yo, I'm Gavin. I work over, you work over at Dave Campbell's. And they're like, oh, like, you know, heck yeah, like, let's go ahead and take a picture. And you know, it's yeah. it was so cool to kind of meet them. And like Coach Trailer being, you know, like an East Texas legend and Coach yeah. McGuire, you know, being yep. a legend in Texas himself, both because they kind of rate they rose from the high school ranks to now being head coaches at yeah. their respective colleges, UTSA and Tech. Those were really, those are two really cool guys that I'd say I'm very happy I met. Now, as far as your favorite teams, this makes sense to begin with Dallas Cowboys and Dallas Mavericks, and then the San Diego Padres. Yeah. So we got to dig into how did they slip in there in your honor? I, this is one, it's actually one of my favorites. I'm wearing the old brown of kind of the orange SD, uh, mm -hmm. you know, batting practice jersey for Tony Gwynn, Love it. Know, the, the, the legendary Tony Gwynn. So, um, I like the Padres too, you know, I always kind of like them, you know, but what is it? How, how, why not? The, what did the Rangers do to you? So you, you didn't, you didn't include them in, in there and how the Padres slip in there. So I think the Padres were an interesting one just because I think baseball is the sport I got into the latest. And so I was kind of growing up and I was kind of, you know, I grew up in Houston. I've been in Houston my whole life and the Astros were always kind of the hometown team, but I was kind of, you know, looking around and I was like just watching baseball and I was like, there are certain times where it's like, you know, you find your favorite player and you kind of become a fan of their team because of them. Yes. And I so I was kind of right. And I kind of grew up a Cowboys fan because of Tony Romo okay. or a Mavs fan because of Dirk. And okay. so it's like, you know, I was kind of watching the Padres over the last couple of years and I'm like, they got this young guy, the shortstop, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. And I was like, who is this guy? And I mean, he's, I think he's phenomenal. He's my favorite player right now in major league baseball and so he's a, he's about he's probably a third of the reason, maybe half. So I'd say Fernando Tatis Jr. is my I love him. I think he's he's my favorite baseball player, one of my favorite athletes right now. I think he plays with just you know such a stature and such you know confidence. It's but it's a controlled confidence, you know. Yeah. And I think and he's willing to you know move into right field when they need him to play in the outfield. He plays. He's a good shortstop. He's a great shortstop, you know. But when they need him to kind of move around, he does. And then another reason again is going back to the broadcasting thing, you know. Don Orsillo is, you know, my, there he's my go. guy, yeah. he's my hero. And so him being the voice of the Padres definitely was a big influence on me being a Padres fan when I was kind of searching for a baseball team, like who do I want to be a, a fan of as a baseball team, you know? And so I'd say the Astros are the hometown team, you know, of course I'll root for them if they're playing not against the Padres, right. but anyone else I'd say I root for the Astros, but the Padres are just, you know, because of Fernando and because of Don, I think the, that's my team, you know? 
I, I can relate. Like I said, and I was you you were older than I was when, when you found the Padres. But as a child, mm-hmm. even though I grew up in, in the 90s when the Rockets were not back-to-back champs, 94, 95, I was a – you're not going to believe this. I was a Utah Jazz fan. I was a diehard <laughs> Utah Jazz fan. And the reason was was Carl Malone, the mailman. And I right. just – as a kid, just seeing his physique, just incredible – chiseled physique almost like a pro wrestler you know i think he actually did some pro wrestling after his career you know but i just love carl malone and also kind of like you i think it's kind of fun to root for these kind of smaller market teams or these teams yeah. that are a little bit and that's why that's what i loved about the utah jazz like they were not their only pro sport in the state they were they were not they were always good but could never quite get over the hump and so it just was fun to be a part of that like I didn't want to just jump on, you know, the, the big Lakers or that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. And of course, I like the Bulls because everybody liked Jordan at that time. But, like, the Jazz were my team. Right. And I was going to say, my mom kind of told me, like, because she, she graduated from high school, I think, 92-ish. Um, so she was, you know, she was my age in, like, the 90s when the Bulls were at their peak with Michael Jordan and stuff, watching him, you know, get his, his rings. And so yeah. she told me, you know, growing up, I, we talk about sports all the time, me and my mom, because she watches every single broadcast I, I do. Yeah. Like she watches every single one that I'm on air for just because she's my biggest supporter. And, you know, my mom's, you know, my mom's the best. And so, but she told me growing up, she's like, you know, I used to watch the bulls all the time because, you know, they were the one, they were in prime time every single night because they had Michael Jordan. And, you know, so she said she was kind of a bulls fan in the nineties just because, you know, she loved watching Michael Jordan and, you know, he was kind of the guy. It's kind of like, you know, like the LeBron, you know, now, you know, we have LeBron now. So like the Lakers are always on or the Cavs or, you know, when he was on the heat, you know, they were always on. So she tells me, you know, I used to watch the Bulls all the time just because they were on. And so it was kind of cool to get to her, hear her talk right. about someone I really never per se got to see live. Yeah. And, you know, I, I totally agree because, you know, at the time, WGN was a Chicago network. And so it was all broadcast here. So we'd get all the Cubs games. Let's like Cubs. Maybe there's some Cubs fans down here a little bit. And they're rivals with the Astros in El Central. But like you, you kind of grew up with that. Same with TBS. We'd give some Braves games. So we get a lot of that. But, mm-hmm. um, I, my, my fandom has stopped for the Utah Jazz, though. Again, because I, I I love Stockton and Malone. And so once they moved on, I kind of it just faded away and I became a Rockets fan again. But in that in that segment, I did love the Utah Jazz. So I can totally relate. And now, like for pro football, like my favorite team is the Detroit Lions. Mm-hmm. And I love and I've always because I, I grew up liking Barry Sanders and I've always kind of liked them. And then I married a girl from Michigan. And so now I'm really into Michigan football and Detroit Lions. And I love it. I love being that team that everybody else dogs on because someday we're going to do it. And I'm sure you feel the same way about your San Diego Padres. You're, you're getting closer and closer. So someday, someday you may get it done. But let, let's do our our, um, our uh, traditional end of the show here. Let's play some start bench cuts. All you right. dreamed of being a coach. You know, you took off your coach hat. You became a broadcaster. But today I'm going to let you be the coach. And so you're okay. going gonna to make some lineup decisions here. Let's go Cowboys start bench cut. Tony Romo, Troy Aikman, the legendary Troy Aikman, and Dak Prescott, who is a great quarterback in his own right and your present quarterback for your Dallas Cowboys. So I think I know which way you're going to go because you kind of revealed some of your, your childhood <laughs> heroes. But let's let's go start bench cut, Tony Romo, Troy Aikman, Dak Prescott. And so you started off with a tough one, of course. So you start out with the Cowboys, and they've had some great quarterbacks. I think, I think like pound for pound, I think the Cowboys may have the best quarterback room if you go through the history of every franchise. I could put Roger Staubach on here. The only reason I did right. it, I, I wanted to keep it more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I think with the Cowboys, it's like, you know, they've always had such great quarterbacks, you know, and I think I'm a big Dak guy. I love Dak, but I would cut Dak. Okay. Which is like, real, it's a really hard thing to do, but I, I think I have to cut Dak on this one. And this is where it gets hard. Um, 
I, I did go through this last night before I went to bed. I was kind of sitting there like, you know, considering okay. what I was going to do on this one. Um, I'm going to start Romo and I'm going to bench yeah. Aikman. I'm going to start Romo because I think he played in a, I think I want to say a tougher era to me. And I think Romo performed better with the resources he had, if that makes sense. I think Romo played with some horrible defenses and some very like mediocre weapons besides like Jason Witten. You know, he had Romo played with, you know, he had like prime Dez and he had, you know, he had T.O. for a little bit, but he never had like, he never had like, you know, Jerry Rice or anything or, or, you know, a Michael Irvin or an Emmett Smith. And so I think to me, Romo is a guy that I think overperformed with what he was given. So I'm going to start Romo. Fair. And so in playing devil's advocate, so you, you know, I, Tony, do you think Tony Romo will be a hall of famer? Cause Aikman is a hall of famer, correct? If I, yes. So I don't think Romo is going to get in the hall, at least not as of now as a football player. Um, he can probably get in as a broadcaster. Potentially. He keeps the pace he's going, you know, but it's a tough one just because there are guys like Eli Manning that have two rings that is, they're still on the fence about Eli. Yeah. And, I understand you know, your argument because this comes up a lot. And I don't like to get too passionate about goat debates or anything like that because it's mm-hmm. so hard. It's all, there's so many factors, but I see what you're saying because the common thing is talking like whenever you compare Barry Sanders and Emmett Smith, they talk about the offensive line of the Cowboys, which is revered as maybe one of the greatest O-lines of all time kind of during that run. And right. for Troy Aikman, of course, you, you got a big-time receiver like Irvin, Novacek at tight end, you know, yeah. I mean, really a high-functioning team all around him. One, you know, obviously uh, the three, was three straight did you all get during that period? Three in the out 90s? of four. Four, okay. So, three out of four. Yeah, three out of four. So there you go. Yeah. So, I mean, I totally understand your argument. And I think that's a, it's a savvy argument to say, hey, Aikman, legend, but did it in a really friendly ecosystem and environment around him. Whereas yeah. Romo kind of was that guy that just was in the land of misfit toys at times, you know, it just was really always struggling and just played so well, but couldn't quite get it done. But I, I like that, man. I like how you kind of went against the grain, maybe a little bit there. So that's a good pick. Let's move on to basketball. A Mavs start bench cut. Luca, Luca Doncic, you know, it's all the rage right now. All of the, the Mavs maybe struggling a little bit. We don't we don't make it into a talk radio show, but yeah, kind of you know a uh, little bit a little bit of a struggle recently, I believe, from what I was hearing. But Dirk Nowitzki, legend, and Steve Nash, an MVP as well in his own right. So start bench cut: Luka Doncic, Dirk Nowitzki, and Steve Nash. Okay, so this is another tough one. Um, I think I think I'm gonna start Dirk. Okay, I think that's probably the easiest choice out of the three. Um, yeah. Dirk's a legend. You know, he's one of the best yeah. scorers of all time. He's a Mavs icon. I think he's, you know, he's, he's unquestionably the best player in the history of the Dallas Mavericks. Trailblazer as well. And again, not not to be old man again, but I mean, you yeah. you may not have lived through this because now it's just it's so ex- like a lot of the best players are European, right? Giannis, uh, Jokic, Luca you know, too, right? Go ahead. What'd you say? I said Luca too. Yeah, Lu- Luca as well, right? Yeah. So it's it's so common, but I, I remember that era when. European players were labeled as soft. They were not that 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 was that was the rap on them. They they were thought of not physical enough to play in the NBA. And so Dirk got a ton of that when he started. He got a ton of that, but he persevered. So I, I think you're I think you're very that's a sharp pick because Dirk, besides everything that he did, and I love that he was able to win a championship against a super team. Yeah. Kind of a you know, again, a, a land of misfit toys, a more just guys that were just a great team. Yeah. And so I, I'm going to start Dirk, and this is where it gets tough again. I think, ah, oh man, I'm going to say bench Luca. Okay. Because I love I, Luca's my favorite basketball player right now as a Mavs fan. Yeah, yeah. Love Luca. I think he's tough. I think he plays with a lot of grit. I think he's 
a very, I think he's a solid score. I think he's just a very like, I think he's what the city needs right now for Dallas. I think he's kind of the franchise guy that they need. Sure. To kind of flash that toughness and stuff. And then, so I'm going to cut Steve Nash reluctantly. Yeah. But I'm I'm only going to do that because I think Steve Nash played his best basketball in Phoenix. Fair. Yeah. That that's that's fair. And I, you know, I, I yeah. And I like I said, the MVPs came. I I could have. What if I went Michael Finley? Does that move the needle at all? Fin, Finley was my favorite Maverick. Yeah, or, or was there someone one. I could have put in ahead of Nash? I guess you're you're the Mavs expert. Um, I'd say Finley probably be the only other one in like the in like recent memory. And I'm sure. sure you try to keep it recent because I'm still you know kind of a kid. And so I, yeah, I, I didn't yeah. want to go like uh you know Mark Aguirre or anything. I know that's right for your time. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, cool. I like that. Now this is the one I, I want to leave it more open ended for you here because you you are the diehard Padres fan. Give me your Padres Mount Rushmore. So your top four all-time greatest Padres. Okay, so I've got this here, and I've got some notes with it. The first one is fairly easy. It's going to be, you know, Tony Gwynn. Absolutely. Mr. Padre, of course. Yep. That's that's the easy one, right? And then... You got that statue right out there behind the outfield. You know, right. I've actually taken a picture with it. Yeah, it's great. And then I'm going to go Trevor Hoffman. Okay. Uh, closer, you know, the best closers mm-hmm. of all time. Probably behind Mariano Rivera's, you know, I'd say one of the best closers ever. Um, Jake Peavy, I think. Okay. He was, you know, played seven plus seasons for us. I think he's the best probably Padres pitcher we've had in recent memory. And since, you know, the turn of the century in 2000, I think he's probably the best pitcher we've had. Yeah. Although I think we have some guys right now that could maybe try to get up there. I think you Darvish or Joe Musgrove or someone, or yeah. Blake Snell even could try to get up there. And then I'm going to go Dave Winfield, uh, the outfielder. He was the first Padres Hall of Famer ever. And so that's going to be my top four. Although I do have some guys that I think, on the squad right now that could probably try to get up there someday. I think, you know, if Fernando stays in San Diego his whole career, he's definitely got a shot of being like, like Mr. Padre, maybe 2.0 or something, you know, no one is going to come close to Tony Gwynn, of course. But I think Fernando is one of those guys that I think he is, you know, a city icon. And I think Manny Machado as well. They just locked him up for life. You know, Manny yeah. Machado is going to be a Padre for the rest of his career. And I'm a big Manny Machado believer. And then Juan Soto, I think. Those guys definitely, yeah. Yeah, you got a star-studded Soto, roster. <laughs> oh, I know, and it's a very great time to be a Padres fan because, I mean, the MLB released their like MLB.com predictions yesterday of how they think the season's going to yeah. go, and they have us beating Houston in the World Series. I'm like, okay, like that's a lot to live up to, but I'll yeah. take it over being you know bottom of the barrel or, you know, being last in the NL West or something. Sure. I always like, I'm the kind of guy I don't like the preseason expectations. Cause I've been there so many times in Michigan football. Like when we're, mm-hmm. everybody thinks we're going to do it, we tank. And then whenever we come out of nowhere and have great seasons, but no, you're right. I think it's, it's exciting time, exciting players, great, great organization. And so I'm excited for you. I'm rooting for you, man. I want you to, to take the NLS there and uh, mm-hmm. maybe we'll see you in the playoffs. That'll be a lot of fun, but uh, if you're enjoying this as much as I did, again, please take a moment, give us that five-star rating that drives us up the charts. So more people can hear these stories of coaches and broadcasters and officials making a difference hit the follow button to subscribe and hear new episodes as soon as they come out each week and follow me on twitter at coach underscore kovo that's coach underscore kovo hit us up at team player podcast at gmail.com and we lift up our own here inside of the team player nation so a lot of our guests are by recommendation so please reach out to me twitter dm or email team player podcast at gmail.com we, we'll get them in here and we we, we enjoy it um, as always the cover art and music for the team player podcast are provided by two of my former players the cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr, and our intro and exit music is one more good enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. Gavin Moritz, 
thank you so much for coming on the show today. Coach, man, thanks for having me. It was a blast. Absolutely. And thank you so much to all the team players out there for your support. And we'll catch y'all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but you be told I need some therapy, initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy. 